everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Welcome to Discovery Church. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited for you to join us. Today, we're starting a new series. For the next four weeks, we'll be in our series called Demo and Reno. This is a series we're going to be taking a look at what faith looks like in our lives. And more than that, we're going to be taking a look at what we do when doubts arise, cracks begin to form in the walls of our faith, and what do we do with the questions that just won't go away. Ultimately, in this series, we're going to ask the question, what does it look like in our lives as we begin to deconstruct and reconstruct parts of our faith, and hopefully in a healthy way? How do we deal with questions, doubts, and a loving God? And what do we do with a faith that is deeply rooted in who we are, but maybe doesn't always look the way we were hoping? If you're here today and you're just checking out faith for the first time, uh, today we're going to be talking about foundations of faith. Uh, What does your faith look like and how do you build it? And if you're here today and you have a deeply rooted faith, then I would imagine you're all too familiar with the questions that rise up, the questions that don't seem to go away, and ask sometimes, what do we do with that? Uh, So over the next four weeks, we'll be tackling topics of faith, doubt, deconstruction, reconstruction, the problem of pain, why do bad things happen to good people, and ultimately, if I'm ever wrestling in faith, what do I do? This is all going to culminate in our final message on September 24th, where we'll be doing a live Q&A here on the stage where we'll address any questions that anyone in the church has on topics of faith, Christianity, theology, the Bible, and anything else. So we've done this before, although pre-COVID, so it's been a long, long time. Uh, And here's how we do it. On the chair in front of you, there's a QR code. You can access it with your camera, or you can go to dc2.me slash questions and ask any question you want. On September 24th, we'll do it up here live, Um, and this is only fun if you participate. Because if you don't participate, and if nobody submits questions, you're just going to get another sermon, and this is going to be so much more fun than that. So I highly recommend you send in some questions. All right, details aside, let's jump in. As we begin our discussion on faith, let's start with a little imagination exercise. For everyone here in the room, I want you to imagine what it's like to rent a house or an apartment, to rent rather than own. Take a moment and picture your favorite or least favorite apartment or home you've ever rented. Now imagine you're sitting at home and your AC breaks. So what do you do? You call the landlord because it's their job to fix it. If a toilet breaks, if a shower leaks, if a hole magically opens up in your roof, you call the landlord because it's their job to fix it. You get to sit back and wait for someone else to fix what might otherwise be a time-consuming and expensive issue. Now, I know renting isn't all it's cracked up to be, and not every landlord is easy to work with. It's not your house. But we have to agree that in the worst of times, not having to deal with a massive and expensive problem in your home can be a little bit nice. Now, I want you to imagine that after renting for a while, you've gotten the opportunity to buy a home. Picture the home that you buy. 
If you're here today and you're a homeowner, I want you to imagine the home you currently live in. I mean, if you're not, I want you to imagine the home you'd like to be in. I want you to take a second and just mentally walk through that home. Check out the rooms. Check out the bathrooms. If it's a home that you own, check out the little idiosyncrasies that only you know about, uh, that others don't. Suddenly, you're in charge of what colors you want on the walls. You can hang up photos wherever you want without someone telling you not to put holes in their wall. You can landscape the yard, you can knock down walls, you can do whatever you want because it's your home, you're responsible for it, and you get to own it. Isn't it glorious? I want you to imagine that one night you're lying on the couch, you're watching TV, and you hear it. Drip, drip, drip. You're not sure what that sound is, and you're not allowed to call the landlord anymore. So you continue on with your show until a few minutes later, you hear it again. Drip, 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 drip. Was that more drips than before? Frantically, you walk around the house, checking every faucet, checking every sink, checking every shower, and nothing. It's your first home you've ever owned, maybe, so surely you just imagine that sound. You go back to TV, and all is well. I mean, a few drips probably don't mean much, right? A few months later, you're hanging out at home, and you hear it again, but this time it's not a simple dripping sound. You can actually hear running water. You start looking around again. Dripping is one, one thing, but running water, that can't be good, right? You continue looking around until finally you open the basement door, and that's when you see it. A section of your basement wall is discolored, and water is pouring out of it. It's obvious the issue has been there for a while, but now you're seeing the damage. Before your eyes, the hole continues to grow. The water continues to pour. You can see your floor soaking further and further and further. All right, everyone take a deep breath. I know we're scared. <laughs> I literally just shared one of my worst nightmares as a homeowner. Uh, but it's going to be okay. Uh, because at this point, we have three options as I see it when we find a leak or a hole or running water in the basement. Option one, and this one's obvious, this one's easy. What if we just close the door? Like, what if we just pretend it didn't happen? What if it's not, we pretend it's not there? I mean, that initial dripping sound was months ago, and there can only be so much water in the pipes. Like, eventually it has to stop and I believe water evaporates, it's going to dry. Um, it's probably not that big of a deal. What if we just ignore it? I'm sure it will all go away. All right, if that doesn't work, let's try option two. Okay, there's water in the basement. This probably means it's gotten into the foundation. And what about mold? I've heard all about black mold. That's pretty bad, right? Like, people can die from that. And now that I've had this small issue, what if there are other issues? What if my house is just riddled with issues? What if the water has somehow gotten into like my wires and my house is going to catch on fire? What if this is systemic? What if my house needs to be condemned? Um, so option two, it's time to move out. Or condemn the building, knock it over, start over again. If there's that big of an issue, why mess with it? Maybe a little extreme, but as a homeowner, I've definitely run into issues where I've thought, it's time just to sell and move on. Let's try again. Finally, option three, and probably the most reasonable, I keep the door open. I call a friend who's probably more handy than I am. I do a quick Google search and find some experts. I get someone in immediately to assess the leak and see what I need to do. I don't know how to fix this, but I can start to triage it. 
I can throw towels down on the floor. I can throw duct tape on the pipe. I, I'm sure that helps. If it doesn't, please tell me. I need to know this. Um, but I know that I'm going to need to get others in to help me fix the leak. Uh, those are three very different and pretty extreme options, and I would imagine that many of you here can see where we're going with this. Um, let's look at our house as a metaphor for our faith and relationship with God. Houses are solidly built. They're designed to shelter us, protect us, and give us a future. They're a long-term investment, which it sometimes can feel like work, but hopefully they're a safe place to retreat to. And nobody knows a house better than its owner. We know the idiosyncrasies. The toilet that won't flush quite right. That one brown spot in the yard that no matter how much work you put in just won't seem to grow. That one floorboard that creaks loudly but only at midnight when you're trying to sneak to the refrigerator. Our homes have personalities um, that are mostly only seen by us. There are people who come uh, and they see some of it, but us, the homeowners, um, we see it deeply. Um, We know it deeply. We know it in all of its glory and all of its flaws. And all of this feels like a pretty apt analogy for faith. Something I can share with others, that others can see, that I can invite others into, but ultimately is something that I know for myself personally and has nuances um, that many of you don't know about my faith unless I invite you in pretty intimately. I have a Jenga set up here. Um, Actually, I think it's called Rapunga, which is a lawsuit-safe version of Jenga, I'm reasonably sure. Uh, And I want to take a minute to build what I think faith looks like in a lot of people's eyes. There's probably an analogy there. So first, I think when people are starting out in faith, um, they start with a foundation. This foundation may look different for different people, but I imagine that this is coming to know Jesus, um, reading your Bible, praying. Um, After this, we add in some various beliefs that we pick up. Um, Some of these from Scripture, some of these are learned from other people. Uh, We put into place practices, things that we do, things that we learn that we should do as a Christian. After this, we add this layer called discipleship, which discipleship is an interesting one because depending on your church or your background, this looks very different. This might be a six-step process that at the end of which you are a fully discipled follower of Christ. This might be a 101, 201, 301, 401 level class. This might be a lot of coffees. Uh, Everyone has a different discipleship. After this, we have prayer, talking to God. We have the relationships we build We have the morality that begins to change, the decisions we make, the way that our life changes. Uh, For some, at this step, um, it affects their politics. Um, And I'm not endorsing any of this. I'm not saying that this is the way to build faith. I'm saying this is what happens in faith formation for many. Uh, After this, we add in a few books or classes. Um, Make sure you attend a small group or two. Definitely open your Bible in here. We have a tower of faith. Just FYI for anyone wondering, there's not a jump scare in this sermon. There's not going to be a part where I talk about faith and knock it over and everyone jumps. But if it does, 
Again, that'd be a good analogy. With our faith, I think for most people, the hope is that year after year, we're going to see this tower grow. Uh, We're going to see this tower become more robust. We're going to see this tower become more solid. Uh, We're going to hope that our tower um, looks good enough for other people to see. Uh, We're going to hope that it doesn't get shifty or or wonky. Uh, We're going to hope it doesn't get any weird holes in it. And and ultimately, we're going to hope that our tower of faith, our relationship with God, stands. Um, For most people that I know, however, this isn't a great representation of what faith looks like. Um, It's not a perfect tower that keeps growing. Uh, For most of us, what happens is, this is the tower we started to build in faith. Uh, But as we get older, we start to realize that there are some pieces in here that um, I know how they got added, uh, but they don't fit anymore. So uh, let's see, this one right here. I, I remember when I added this, it doesn't serve me very well. I, I don't even know if it's true, so I don't think that goes on the tower anymore. This one right here, it, it probably needs some work. Uh, I know where this started. I'm, I'm not going to get rid of it. Um, I'll throw it up here. See if there's any more holes I can find here. Oh, look at this one. It's another one that doesn't quite fit. Uh, and in fact, it doesn't go back on there. I'm going to get rid of it. Uh, we have these pieces in our faith that at one point may have served us well or, or we may have thought fit, um, but now they don't. And, and we're left with this tower that can sometimes have holes in it and can sometimes feel a little unstable. Um, and then the worst, um, and a common conversation I have with people is, what do you do about this one right here? This is a foundational block. Uh, this is a block I added when I was 17 years old, when I became a Christian. And when I was 17 years old, this felt really important. Um, and now I'm realizing this might actually be completely wrong. Uh, but the problem is, I can pull out these blocks. Everyone knows how to cheat in Jenga or Raponga. Um, everyone knows how to cheat. You just you keep touching them until you find the block that doesn't work. But this block, that might knock the whole thing down. So what do I do with that? Well... For the time being, um, I'm probably going to leave that block in its place. I'm going to recognize that maybe it doesn't serve me well, maybe it's not true, Um, maybe it's a piece of faith that I added and didn't know what to do, maybe it's foundational to me, but at this point it's tied to so many other pieces that if it drops, I might lose a lot. At this point, if any of this is you, it's not uncommon to ask, what do I do now? Here we go. As we continue to peel this back and ask questions, we're entering into the demo portion of this series, where I'm going to potentially open up a can of worms and bring up the concept of deconstruction. Uh, Deconstruction, at its core, asks us to take a look at the running water in the basement and ask what we're going to do about it. Or to bring the metaphor home, when questions arise about your faith, when the faith you have today isn't quite the same as it used to be, when you're struggling with doubts, questions, or not sure what to do when it comes to God, when the faith you have today does not seem to line up with who you want to be, do you ignore it? Do you tear it down? Or do you look for ways to fix it? 
Uh, depending on the church you attended, the word deconstruction, and in fact, questions or doubts, uh, may be synonymous with heresy. There are many churches and communities out there that take the concept of deconstruction and talk about its rootedness and selfishness and a desire to undermine what God has created. There are hashtags out there like hashtag exvangelical, filled with people who are walking away from their faith as they begin to question what they've always believed in as they pull at some of those bottom blocks and it comes crashing down and they're not sure what to do. Uh, There are many churches out there that are doing everything they can to stem the bleeding. Anytime you want to Google people walking away from their faith, you'll see that it continues to rise as people ask questions, well, ask questions about their faith, ask questions about where is God when it hurts, ask questions about church hypocrisy and abuse, ask questions about what is God doing, and when they don't have the answer, sometimes walking away feels like the easiest move. So for many churches, the best way to stem the bleeding is to make these topics off-limits, to say things like questions, doubts, discontent, or disillusionment with God are bad things. Um, But for our part, this concept is actually rooted in something amazing. Uh, You see, questions, doubt, disillusionment, deconstruction has actually splashed across almost every page of your Bible. If you've ever opened your Bible, you'll recognize that deconstruction of faith is happening all over Scripture and, in fact, can be a path to freedom. Uh, So if you're here today and you're wrestling with faith or you're wrestling with questions or you've come out on the other side, let's talk about the freedom that this process can give. I'll give you a few examples. If you have a Bible, I'm going to turn to Matthew 5.17 or it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, Matthew 5.17 is where Jesus is speaking to a group of people. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And Jesus makes this statement. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Jesus says, I don't come to abolish anything. I come to fulfill. And then you watch Jesus' interactions with people. Because I believe that's true. But Jesus challenges. And he challenges a lot. And I think as his followers, you watch that the way that Jesus feeds his people on the Sabbath, um, heals on the Sabbath, uh, the way that Jesus approaches the temple and the religious leaders, and you say, man, Jesus said he came to fulfill, not to abolish, but on some level, I'm almost getting more questions than answers. Um, The faith that I grew up with as a, a young Jewish boy, I can imagine these disciples thinking, what do I do with that now? Because Jesus is spinning this deconstructing. In John 2, there's a a popular story in church. Uh, Jesus goes by the temple where people come to connect with God and sacrifice animals for their forgiveness. He sees money changers exchanging currency and selling the very animals people need to sacrifice for their forgiveness. So Jesus goes, he braids a whip, and he comes into the temple and starts flipping tables He runs and shouts at those selling doves to stop turning his father's house into a market. Those doves would have been the cheapest animals for the poorest of people, which meant that without without enough money, even those on the edges wouldn't be able to seek favor with God. And this incensed Jesus. And after he does this, in John John 2, 18 through 22, we're going to see a conversation he has with the people there. John 2, 18 through 22. 
Jesus just flipped tables and yelled at people. Then the Jews said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. An early story you hear in church is about Jesus coming and flipping tables in the temple. And I think how I've always imagined it goes a little bit something like this. Jesus is walking along, minding his own business when he sees the temple. Standing outside the temple are a group of religious leaders, all of whom are laughing and patting each other on the back because of all the money they're taking from the poor. Jesus is furious and walks into the temple where he sees the literal monopoly guy taking people's hard-earned money so they can buy forgiveness. And Jesus, rightfully so, feels this intense anger and comes crashing in. He flips tables, he runs off the Monopoly guy, and all is well. And to be fair, that's a good chunk of the story. He came, he saw an unfair and unethical practice, and he abolished it. And I don't think anyone would argue that was wrong. But if you're not one of the main characters in this story, what do you do with what's next? What do you do if this is a practice you've been going through for years? What do you do with the people who come to town needing an animal sacrifice for forgiveness and now it's in disarray? What do you do with the Jewish man working in the temple who is part of the problem, but he's been born into this? This is what dad did, and this is what grandpa did. Uh, this is what I've known. Uh, I'm not the monopoly guy, I'm just a guy. If you're in the temple this day, or you hear about the situation a week later with this rabbi flipping tables and claiming he can rebuild it all in three days, uh, what starts to happen to that tower of faith? What uncomfortable questions do you begin to ask? And what does your tomorrow look like when you head back to the temple? Do things return to normal? Was everything changed? Do I buy an animal? Or do I not? I, one guy says I don't, these people say I do. What do I do? The sacrificing animals piece is in Leviticus. That, that's not what Jesus had the issue with, but there's a process. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But throughout most, most of what he did, he asked uncomfortable questions or challenged existing structures that ended up redefining God to billions of people. Jesus challenged, and in that challenge, one of his primary goals was to eliminate barriers between us and God. Jesus sought roadblocks between us and God, and he pushed for people to move past them. The Apostle Paul, years later, found himself in a situation that may have had similar results. After Jesus' death and resurrection, a man named Paul began planting churches and pastoring churches all throughout the area. One of them was in Galatia, and we read about them in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, throughout Galatians, Paul speaks about those who are adding rules onto being a Christian. They were taking the freedom of Christ and then saying, this is great, it's great that you have freedom in Christ, but don't forget our laws and our rules, because if you miss those, you miss the point. Specifically, one thing they were talking about was the act of circumcision. If you know the story from Genesis, God created a covenant with a man named Abraham, and in that covenant, God commanded that all male children should be circumcised. And as we read, we see that when somebody new is converted, regardless of age, they were circumcised as well. 
Paul knew this. Paul had a good classical education when it came to Scripture. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Still, in hearing this argument pop up among the Galatians, specifically that these new Christians needed to be circumcised, otherwise it didn't count, Paul writes them a letter about freedom in Christ. And in Galatians 5, this is what he says. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Start back in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Paul was not necessarily abolishing circumcision, but was talking about the heart of the matter versus the letter of the law. But I want you to imagine what it must have been like hearing this spoken in church if you were a member of that church. What would it be like if you were faithfully following God and a leader made a statement like this that flew in the face of millennia of tradition? If he said, hey, this rule that we've been following is, is good, but if you do it, Christ has no part in you. Would you ask questions like, well, if Paul is abolishing circumcision, what else is he abolishing? And what is true? And are there laws that I'm following currently that would also make Christ have no value? What do I do with my faith? What would it have been like for a Jewish man or woman of the time, a person who was steeped in a way of faith, to come across someone pointing to a way of following God that was radically different from anything they'd ever known? On this side of history, it's easy to say, oh, I would have had no problem with that. But if we can be honest, it probably would have been brutal. It would have been uncomfortable. It would have caused many of us to question, pray, or worry, or talk. Um, and I know this because we have denominations today. Uh, because I love discovery and what we do. Um, and I know that when people come into our church, they, they have a list of questions uh, and that, those questions generally relate to how do you worship God? Um, do you worship God the same way that Victory Church does? Uh, do you worship God differently than North Metro? Um, how do you practice this compared to Flatirons? Um, how do you treat communion? Um, how do you treat women? How do you treat children? How do you treat prayer? We have all this list of things, all these ways that we approach God. And I can imagine for these people as Paul and as Jesus and as Gideon and as all of these people started changing the way that we see God, can you imagine how difficult that must have been? For Paul, it was about freedom and being connected to the Father. It was about practices and relationships and choices that connected us to the freedom that God offers rather than the structures we put in place. And these are just a few examples. You can find them all throughout the Old and New Testament as people are moving in a way of faith and direction, and then God uproots that, and they have to wrestle with a new paradigm, or they hit a point of questions and doubts and have to make a decision on how to move forward. If you Google the term deconstruction, many would have you believe that this is a new thing spawned in a post-Christian, post-modern world, but deconstruction has been around since there was a faith to construct. 
And in its most beautiful cases, you get a guy like Paul, who takes the essence of what God wants us to understand, and he helps distill it into a faith worth chasing. And in this worst case, you get people like the Pharisees, who took a look at questions and doubts and different ways of thinking and turned their heads. All right, let's bring it home. Let's go back to the house metaphor again and talk about the building blocks of a home. I think when I shared earlier about the three options for what to do with running water in the basement, there were a few chuckles because, of course, the answer is to keep the door open and fix the running water. Closing the door and ignoring it or just tearing down the house are ridiculous at face value. Why wouldn't you step in and address the problem? But when it comes to faith, it becomes a little more convoluted of an answer, right? With a house, there's a way to do things. I can look on YouTube, I can Google experts to come fix my basement. Heck, I'll bet there are a dozen people in this room right now who could help me with that situation. But when it comes to faith, this is a lot more personal. And if I Google this topic, I might get some help, or I might be condemned, or I might be sold an online course. And it's hard to suss out what's true and what's not. And what if, in trying to fix the problem, I find that there is no solution? or I make things worse, or heaven forbid, when I try to pull this block at the bottom, the entire thing collapses. What if I ask the wrong question and I can't come back from it? A few weeks ago, um, I was talking to a friend about this sermon and talking about this analogy, talking about people that I know who have done a great job of evaluating their faith, are able to step back from it, take a look at it, evaluate it. Um, he said, yeah, that's, that's great for your personality, Jake. He said, for me, it's like I'm living in the house you're telling me to, to pull the block out of. He said, for you, it felt like you were pulling blocks, and if a few things fell off, you could replace them. He said, Jake, for me, if I pull the block, I feel like the house collapses on me, and then I don't know what to do. Um, because faith isn't just tied to a belief in God. Faith is tied to friends and community. Faith is tied to morality, how I vote. He said, faith is tied to everything, and so pulling that block isn't as easy as you say. If you're here today, you have questions, you have doubts, or you're going through this process, this next step is for you. And if you're here today and your faith is rock solid with no cracks in it, or you're further along in the journey, that's great. I have something for you coming up at the end as well, so just hold tight. If you're here today and you have more questions than answers, let's take this building down to the studs. At a foundational level, faith is about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a God who loves us, who died for us, who walks with us. Now, depending on where you're from, what you've learned, or what you've studied, faith can be about doctrine or about dogma, or rights and wrongs, or good choices and bad, and can be about learned beliefs and traditions, none of which necessarily are a bad thing. But at its core, faith is about a relationship with a God who loves us and the freedom he offers us. In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, uh, Jesus gives a parable uh, about a wise man a wise man who builds his house upon a rock, which I believe there's a song that goes with that, but I didn't grow up in church, so I don't know if that's true. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. 
everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The foundation of our faith, the thing we build everything else on, is Jesus and his word. Everything else comes back to it. And here's the thing about questions and doubts and deconstruction. If God's word and our relationship with God are the foundation, then the rest of the tower gets to build from that. And if things crumble, and if things collapse, if things don't work out the way we want, if we have to pull a couple of blocks out and move them around, if we have to ask a couple tough questions or examine to see if they even fit, that's okay because the foundation never moves. The foundation stays solid. In the midst of questions, doubt, and faith, as long as you cling to that, the end result is good. Not easy, not simple, the end result is good. Uh, I'm going to invite the band back up, and as they come up, I have three things for anyone interested. Uh, To start on this topic, this is important. I want to set a few ground rules, especially as we go through the next three weeks. Um, First, let's start with a ground rule that I think is pretty important. Um, There are no off-limits topics or questions when it comes to this. Uh, Depending on how you grew up or what you've known, there may be things that you don't talk about, things that you don't ask, things that good Christians don't say or think. That's not true. (laughs) You can ask it. Um, Second, and this seemed to be Jesus' model and Paul's and most people I can see in Scripture, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you're struggling, um, keeping that to yourself is an option. Um, I recognize the hurt or shame that comes with other people looking at a tower that should probably be further along than it is, uh, or a perception of what I think it should look like. Um, But I'll tell you that doing this with other people is better than doing it alone. Um, That may mean talking to a pastor, although um, it might just mean talking to whoever's sitting next to you in your row, whether you know them or not. You can just tell them I said you could talk to them about this. It's not a problem. I would encourage you, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you are examining your tower, uh, doing it with others is much better than doing it with alone. Um, I have a handful of books that are available if anybody wants to explore this topic. I love them. They're up on the screen. Uh, Death Deconstruction by Joshua Porter. Um, this made me cry at Starbucks the other day, and when a person came to me to ask what I was reading, I quickly wiped the tears away because it was embarrassing. Um, the Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. I just plug Philip Yancey every time I'm preaching. I just love him. Um, and then Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren, um, which is what we talked about the last time we talked about this series. Uh, three great books. Um, second, uh, I don't actually love when we try to tie a bow on a tough topic, which is not my goal today. So if you are stuck today, if you have questions, if you don't know where to go next, um, I would love to chat with you up front. Uh, but also, for the past few months... Zach has been talking about an invitation for anyone in here who wants to mentor or disciple others. Um, So some of you in here, when you saw this topic, you thought, yeah, I've been through that. Yeah, I know how this goes. Um, Yeah, I'm a little further along. Yeah, I get most of it. Um, Hey, if that's you, I would love to hear from you so I can connect you with others. Um, Because part of this discipleship journey, part of this journey of faith, is you only have to be a little further along than somebody else to bring them along with you. Um, 
and I'd love to use you as a resource. Um, and finally, don't forget our Q&A coming up in three weeks. Next week, Zach will be back, and he'll be preaching on the question that never goes away. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when bad things happen to good people? And what do I do? And in two weeks, we'll tackle the deconstruction angle from a different angle. Uh, Jesus is called to follow him and die to self. And it should be a blast. Um, hey, let's pray. Uh, hey, God, it's Jake. Um, God, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with this tower. Um, but oftentimes when I take a hard look at where things were added, um, I think there are some beliefs and practices I elevate high and some that I ignore. There are some truths that probably come from you. Probably. And God, I don't think I'm alone in that. God, I thank you for anyone here today who is checking out the claims that you made. I thank you for anyone in here who is exploring faith. Um, and God, I thank you for those in here who have explored topics like this for a long time and they've asked the hard questions and they've come out on the other side, not necessarily unscathed, but so much better for it. God, thanks for this church. Amen.